Hey there, fellow book readers, Angela Bowen here. Again, it's that time of year, and I am going to be discussing with you the books I read this summer, summer 2022. I'd say I had a pretty decent reading summer. I really, I just finished up my last book on August 31st. I'm so proud of myself. So, the first book by Jamie Sumner, one of my favorite authors. She wrote The Summer of June. So, let me read the synopsis for you. From the acclaimed author of Tune It Out and Roll With It comes an inspirational and engaging middle grade book about a young girl who sets out to overcome her anxiety over the course of one life-changing summer. 12-year-old June Delancey is kicking summer off with a bang. She shaves her head and sets two goals. She will beat her anxiety and be the lion she knows she can be, instead of the mouse everyone sees. And she and her single mama will own their power as fierce, independent females. With the help of Homer Juarez, the poetry-citing soccer star who believes in June, even when she doesn't believe in herself, she starts a secret library garden and hatches a plan to make her dreams come true. But when her anxiety becomes too much, everything begins to fall apart. It's going to take more than a haircut and some flowers to set things right. It's going to take courage and friends and watermelon pie. Forget second chances. This is the summer of new beginnings. I'm going to say that, yes, this book does have some triggers for those of you that do are coping with anxiety. Uh, one of the reasons, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it. One of the re why she ends up shaving her head, but I'm just, oh, my heart breaks for this girl. But the growth and development that she goes through over the course of a summer is amazing, and just the friends that she makes. And not just, you know, kid friends, but, you know, ad adult friends, too. Her mom works at the library. And I just think that is the coolest thing. It's like, she needs to go there and just, you know, help out, read a book. She, I believe, is good at playing chess, too, which is really cool, even though I'm not a fan of chess myself. But, and watermelon pie just sounds so delicious. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> But I, I highly advise, I mean, like, you don't have to read these books during the summer necessarily. I just liked it because, hey, let's kick off summer with a summer read. The summer of June. Alright, so moving on to, of course, June being Pride Month, I did want to get in my Pride books. Also, this list of books that I've read is not just middle grade. It's middle grade, it's young adult, it's adult fiction. So the next book of course is YA. Summer of June was middle grade. I read Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe. This book really surprised me by how good it was. I swear I tried to read this book maybe did it come out? 2012. I probably tried to read it maybe five to seven years ago. And I just for whatever reason I I couldn't get into it, but I'm like, okay, let me try it again. So I'm going to read the synopsis. Dante can swim. Ari cannot. Dante is articulate and self-assured. Ari, Ari, which is short for Aristotle, 
has a hard time with words and suffers from self-doubt. Dante gets lost in poetry and art. Ari gets lost in thoughts of his older brother who is in prison. Dante is fair-skinned. Ari's features are much darker. It seems that a boy like Dante, with his open and unique perspective on life, would be the last person to break down the walls that Ari has built around himself. But against all odds, when Ari and Dante meet, they develop a special bond that will teach them the most important truths of their lives and help define the people they want to be. But there are big hurdles in their way, and only by believing in each other and the power of their friendship can Ari and Dante emerge stronger on the other side. This book was amazing. The characters were made. I fell in love with all of them, and not just Aristotle and Dante, but their friends, their parents. Just and mind you, this is technically historical fiction because it is set in the in the eighties. So, yeah, it's just. Oh, it's so good. And the author ended up putting out a sequel like some 10 plus years down the road, which I also read and I'll get to. But, you know, I'm actually, I don't want to read the synopsis for that because I don't want to give away anything that could be a spoiler for those that have not read the first book. But, and, and, and that's the thing. Another thing, you don't have to read these books just during Pride Month. I like to do that myself just because... That's just how I am. Like, when February rolls around, I definitely jump into books, you know, for Black History Month and stuff. But that doesn't mean I just have to read them during that month. So. Uh, next one, Middle Grade. This is by another favorite author, Alex Gino. Wrote a book that came out this year, Alice Austin Lived Here. So I'll read the synopsis for this one. From the award-winning author of Melissa, which used to be called George, they had it changed, a phenomenal novel about queerness, past, present, and future. Sam is very in touch with with their own queer identity. So yes, this is a book that does use you know pronouns such as there. It took me a minute to kind of get used to how um, that kind of played out and everything when it comes to the sentence structure and just like, okay, this is how I'm reading this. This is how it's supposed to be. Okay. So they're non-binary and their best friend TJ is not binary as well. Sam's family is very cool with it as long as Sam remembers that non-binary kids are also required to clean their rooms, do their homework, and try not to antagonize their teachers too much. The teacher respect thing is hard when it comes to Sam's history class because their teacher seems to believe that only dead straight... What is C... C's? C and then... It's like a capital C and then it's a lowercase is. I'm not sure what that is. Uh, white men are responsible for history. When Sam's home borough of Staten Island opens up a contest for a new statue, Sam finds the perfect non-DSCWM subject. Photographer Alice Austin, whose house has been turned into a museum and who lived with a fem female partner for decades. Soon, Sam's project isn't just about winning the contest. It's about discovering a rich queer history that Sam's a part of. A queer history that no longer needs to be quiet as long as there are kids like Sam and TJ to stand up for it. This book, like her most of 
Alex Gino's books are shorter, usually just under 200 pages, but they pack a powerful punch, I'm telling you. This book was so good. I really, really enjoyed it. And I like how, even though Sam lives with her mom and they live in an apartment and there is a same-sex couple that lives, I believe, either below them or above them that has a baby, that Sam spends a lot of time with them and learning more about, you know, queer history and all that stuff. And it's just really, really... It's just, I, I like that family does not have to always be blood. That you can make friends and have family wherever you go. So, and I don't want to spoil the ending either. I gotta say, it definitely was drawn out when I'm like, oh, there's not many pages left, what's gonna happen? Please don't leave this on a cliffhanger. They didn't leave it on a cliffhanger, guys, I'll let you know that much. So, the next book for June for Pride Month, of course... The Civil War of Amos Abernathy by Michael, I don't know, how do you, L-E-A-L-I, Lely? This book came out in early June, of course. Just like I think Alice Austin doesn't live here anymore. I think that also came out in June. Okay, so this one, a heartfelt debut novel about a boy's attempt to find himself in the history he loves. Perfect for fans of Dear Sweet Pea. Loved that. And from the desk of Zoe Washington. Guys, that book has a sequel coming out next year. If you've not read from the desk of Zoe Washington, go read it because it's incredible. Amos Abernathy lives for history. Literally, he's been a historical reenactor nearly all his life. But when a cute new volunteer arrives at his living history park, Amos finds himself wondering if there's something missing from history. Someone like the two of them. Amos is sure there must have been LGBTQ plus people in 19th century Illinois. His search turns up Albert D.J. Cashier, a Civil War soldier who might have identified as a trans man if he'd lived today. Soon Amos starts confiding in his newfound friend by writing letters in his journal and hatches a plan to share Albert's story with his divided 21st century town. It may be an uphill battle, but it's one that Amos is ready to fight. Told in an earnest, hilarious voice, this love letter to history, first crushes, and LGBTQ plus community will delight readers of Ashley Herring Blake, Alex Gino, and Malik Pancoli, which he wrote the best at it, uh, Malik did, and... He's got a new book coming out, and I believe it comes out next month, and I'm really excited for it. I just, uh, and this book, guys, I, I love history. I really, really do, and I love when middle grade does it. There's also another book that deals with history. Uh, it, uh, a student that just loves history. The Not-So-Perfect, The Not-So-Private, oh my goodness, I'm blanking. Uh, I'll figure it out. It's by, um his name because I follow him on Instagram anyway but yes some books I will tell you flat out when I read I don't know what it is about the authors what they they cook up how they do it but it's like some books I just I start and I immediately just 
fall into them, fall in love with them. It feels like coming home. It feels like curling up in a warm blanket with just a cozy... Oh, I just, I don't know how to describe it. It's just the, the characters. It just, it makes you want to be there and hang out with these, these fictional characters. And that's what this book, The Civil War of Amos Abernathy did for me. And I'm like, and this is the, I think the first, I think this is the first book by this author. And I'm really hoping that we get more from him because I loved this. All right, of course, the ever-popular book that everyone seems to clamor for in 2022 because the movie came out. Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. I'm going to read the synopsis. I gave it a... I haven't told what my ratings are for a lot of these books. Um, I did give this a 4 out of 5. Although, in my mind, I think it's more closely to... A three out of five but I wanted to be kind to the author and I thought the descriptions were good even though it was kind of a slog to get through the movie is really good too all right for years rumors of the marsh girl haunted Barkley Cove a quiet fishing village Kaya Clark is barefoot and wild unfit for polite society so in late 1969 when the popular Chase Andrews is found dead Locals immediately suspect her, but Kaya is not what they say. A born naturalist with just one day of school, she takes life lessons from the land. Learning the real ways of the world from the dishonest signals of fireflies. But while she has the skills to live in solitude forever, the time comes when she yearns to be touched and loved. Drawn to two young men from town who are each intrigued by her wild beauty, Kaya opens herself to a new and startling world until the unthinkable happens. And where the crawdads sing, Owens juxtaposes an exquisite ode to the nature or to the natural world against a profound coming of age story and haunting mystery. Thought provoking, wise, and deeply moving, Owens's debut novel reminds us that we are forever shaped by the child within us, while also subject subject guys, I gotta take it water break here for a second. My mouth is like as dry as the Sahara Desert. <laughs> uh, this water's like bottles dripping all over. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to drink more water even though I drink a lot of pop. Okay, so oh I got water all over my chair. Herm of my chair. Okay, where did I leave off? While also subject to the beautiful and violent secrets that nature keeps. The story asks how isolation influences the behavior of a young woman who, like all of us, has a genetic propensity to belong to a group. The clues to the mystery are brushed into the lush habitat and natural histories of its wild creatures. Yes, I do admit that this was a slog to get through the book. And the movie, I'd say 90, 95% follows the book to a T, pretty much. However, um, I remember I finished the book late, late at night, like early morning. And I wasn't the only one of my coworkers reading this book. Which is just as well, because... Uh, one of my coworkers is a little a bit older than me. She had read it 
And she told me, because when I was talking to her about it, she's like, go back and read the last few pages again and really let that sink in. And I'm like, oh, yeah, now I, okay. Because, again, it was like early morning. Uh, my eyes were getting heavy and getting tired. I'm kind of like trying to finish it so I can get it done. I mean, the book was good. It was just, And it was very detailed, which good for the author and everything like that. But, um... At, like, 1 a.m., I'm just like, Ugh. All right, so, moving on to, if you guys have listened to some of my other book-related podcast episodes, you know that I do enjoy Mr. Lemoncello's library, Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's library. It was made into a Nickelodeon movie, which I watched, like, two minutes of. I'm like, no, thank you. Um, I think it would have been better maybe on Netflix. Or, I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. <clears throat> this is by Chris Gravenstein, another one of my favorite middle grade authors. I love his books. I would have read this at the very, I would have finished this at the very end of June. It is a prequel. Mr. Lemoncello's very first game. So I'm going to read, and I'm going to say right now, not to spoil anything, but I think we might be getting another book down the road. I hope, I hope, fingers crossed. Uh, I just, oh, I hope we do, because I want to hear more about Luigi Lemoncello. You know, we got to hear about his childhood a little bit. Like, okay, come on, he's this great inventor. We want to hear about all of his life. All right, here's the description. I'm sorry, I'm yawning. Oh, oh. okay. Before Mr. Lemoncello became everyone's favorite game maker, he was a kid who liked to roll the dice. Discover the origins of Mr. Lemoncello's library in this prequel to Escape from Mr. Lemoncello's Library. Go back to the start and meet 13-year-old puzzle-obsessed Luigi Lemoncello. Luigi has a knack for games and puzzles, but sometimes it feels like the cards are stacked against him until a carnival arrives in town and Luigi gets the chance of a lifetime. The opportunity to work for the world-famous Professor Marvelness, a dazzling banana hat. <laughs> I, I mean, as I was reading, I was like, I was getting, like, flashbacks to the first book. And I even was, like, going back a little bit through the first book just to pick up on certain things. It's really cool. All right. <laughs> I lost my place. Luigi has a neck for games and puzzles, but sometimes it feels like the cards are stacked against him until a uh, carnival arrives in town and Luigi gets a chance of a lifetime, the opportunity to work for the world-famous Professor Marvelness, a dazzling banana hat-wearing Barker who puts the show in showmen. When the carnival closes, Professor Marvelness leaves behind a mysterious puzzle box along with a key clue. A clue... That will lead Luigi and his friends on a fantastical treasure hunt to a prize beyond anything they could imagine, if they can find it. Can Luigi crack the codes and unlock the box's secrets? Will there be puzzles? Of course. Balloons? You bet. Will it be fun? Hello, it's a lemon cello. Bonus, you can crack the pu hidden puzzle inside. Um, I know even in the first book, like, there are puzzles and stuff that kind of go along with the story. I'm like, there's no way that I can do this. I'm just, like, scratching my head, like, oh. But, I mean, props to those out there that love puzzles like this. I'm just, I don't know. 
All right, moving on again. Of course, as I mentioned, Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. The sequel, Aristotle and Dante dive into the waters of the world. This was a good follow-up. Yeah, it was nine about nine years after the first book came out. So, yeah, he definitely took his time. Uh, it was by uh, Benjamin Elier... Saying? I, I, say, I, I, I feel horrible because some people's names I can't pronounce right, and I just feel horrible for... Uh, okay, so the next book, of course, I finished this at the end of July. This was called, and this is an adult fiction, guys. Take My Hand by Dolan Perkins-Valdez. This book came out in April of 2022. I can't believe... I mean, I was in Barnes & Noble... I just had my purchases, and then I turned and I look, and I'm like, what is this book? What is this book? And I read it, and like, the, I'm like, I need to get this. I need to have this book. It's so... It brought up topics that... I'm guys, I'm a sheltered Midwestern. I grew up in the 80s. I, in a small town, 80s and 90s, and I was... I think beyond sheltered. I really, really was. There's a lot of stuff. But anyway, I'm just going to read the synopsis for this book, but it is wow. Inspired by true events that rock the nation, a profoundly moving novel about a black nurse in post-segregation Alabama who blows the whistle on a terrible wrong done to her patients. From the New York Times bestselling author of Wench, Montgomery, Alabama, 1973. So this actually does take place. It's a dual, not a dual narrative, but a, like split in present time 2016 to past 1973. Fresh out of nursing school, Sybil Townsend has big plans to make a difference, especially in her African-American community. At the Montgomery Family Planning Clinic, she intends to help women who make their own choices for their lives and bodies. But when her first week on the job takes her down a dusty country road to a worn-down one-room cabin, she's shocked to learn that her, <clears throat> her new patients are children, just 11 and 13 years old. Neither of the Williams sisters have even kissed a boy, but they are poor and black, and for those handling the family's welfare benefits, that's reason enough to have the girls on birth control. As Sybil grapples with her role, she takes India, Erica, and their family into her heart until one day she arrives at the door to learn the unthinkable has happened and nothing will ever be the same for any of them. Decades later, with her daughter grown and a, career, a long career in her wake, Dr. Sybil Townsend is ready to retire to find her peace and to leave the past behind. But there are people and stories that refuse to be forgotten. That must not be forgotten because history repeats what we don't remember. Now, when I read this enough, before I had read the book, I went into it thinking one thing. Um, if you guys don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead a handful of seconds. I thought it was going to go down the road of where one of these girls got pregnant by someone who sexually assaulted them. 
I even thought it was like a matter of like incest or something like that. I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I just, my, when it says horrible, unthinkable, I'm thinking, okay, one of them was sexually assaulted, one of them winds up pregnant, something like that. That's what I thought. This book flipped it on its head and to the point where I didn't know that that was going to happen. I'm like, holy moo. Wow. So, also, it brings up something that I had only semi-been aware of because I worked in a video store. There was a movie called Miss Ever's Boys. And being in a movie, a video store, you're walking around, you're returning movies, occasionally old clients at a cover. Didn't think much of it. I might have read the back of it, and I didn't really understand what I was reading. I was talking about black men who served during... I think it was World War II. It was between the, I'm sorry, it was between the 30s and the 70s, this whole long thing of black men that were being injected with the syphilis um, virus, and uh, we all know it was an STD. And this was taking place in uh, Tuskegee. I thought it was like a trial with the Tuskegee College. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, um... I didn't know, you know, there's a TV. That, immediately when I read about that in the book, because that also, you know, takes place in the same state, I believe, where that, that whole traumatic thing happened. I mean, that, and, and that's like 40 years of that going on. And it's just, oh my gosh. I just, that's just horrible. I mean, ugh. And then this on top of it, I'm like, what in the heck? But you guys, if you listen to my other podcast, you know that I covered the New Wonder Years. And one of the episodes called Goose Grease, which I recently covered, I believe it was season one, episode 18. And it was brought up, like, one of the main characters' cousins was doing, like, a trial, like, an experiment. Yeah, it was an experiment, basically, is what it was. Because um, the main character's father was saying, your cousin so-and-so, you know, participated in that experiment, and he's still, there's something wrong, there's something going on, you know, that's why, you know, the main character's father does not trust doctors. It's like, there's something going on there. There's something, they're, whatever they're doing there, it's wrong. And having, you know, when this took that Wonder Years episode, I reviewed that after I read the book. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, and, and even the main, char- the main character, the narrator, said something that you still can't find in history books. No, I don't think you could, even back then. No, they don't talk about it. And this book, Take My Hand, enlightened me to that fact. And of the main focus of the book of the sterilizing you know you know poor you know black girls I mean they're like 10 like oh my gosh this is just this is just this history it's like it's almost like unless you go searching for it you're not gonna know and the thing is the way that schools are just like 
say, oh, you can't learn about that. We can't teach that. We can't do that. It's like, this is history. This stuff happened. Why do you think that we don't need to, kids don't need to know this? Why do you think it should be exempt from, you know, history? I mean, what do you think history is going to be? Like 2000s onward? Come on. Life and things and events took place well before the 2000s. We know this. And I'm sorry if I'm ranting, but it's just, I don't understand why, why people are, you know, schools, curriculums are choosing to ignore this stuff and not teach it to this next generation. Not teaching it, it's not, it's like, you can't pretend that none of this stuff ever happened, like it never existed by not teaching it. If schools aren't going to teach them, the kids, about this stuff, then kids are just going to have to go out on their own and learn about it one way or another. When I went to school, I was taught, like, the basics, which I mean bare bones basics. I didn't learn, I didn't learn about, I didn't know who Emmett Till was. I didn't know about the Tuskegee you know, medical experiment with the, the syphilis being injected in, into the black soldiers and stuff. I didn't know any of that until, like, you know, just, I mean, just recently this year. I mean, Emmett Till, after reading Ghostwise, I learned more about. And then also, there, the movie Till is coming out next month. About Emmett Till. And then in February, I watched Women of the Movement, which is on Hulu, which is about Mammy Till Mobley, the mother of Emmett Till. So I'm really interested to see how Till is going to do in the theater and everything like that. I'm just, I don't want to compare both versions and stuff like that, but it's just like, oh my god. This stuff happened, guys. We can't pretend that it didn't just to pacify you know kids and just protect them and stuff like that it's like this is history this is history and future generations guys look at it i just turned 40 i don't know how many years i have left on this earth but i know that this this stuff we have to teach it to the newer generation so they'll take that on with them and, and carry that history on. I mean, the last thing we want is for this stuff to, you know, die with older generations. I mean, think about it. Those that died on the Titanic, most of those that survived are long since gone. We have their stories and stuff that we can read about and stuff like that. But um, I, I know, guys, I'm harping on this. And it's just, I just, I feel so, so strongly that kids need to be taught this stuff. You're not doing them any any, any good, like, keeping them in, in, in a bubble and just sheltering them like that. I mean, I don't, I know, and I'm not trying to tell people how to raise their kids or teach their the kids or anything like that. This is just my own perspective. You don't teach them. Kids are going to search for answers one way or another, whether it's the library, whether it's the internet, or even just seeking out other people 
and you know o- older people from older generations and sitting down and talking to them guys they were there they lived through a lot of this stuff if you think about it, those people aren't going to be around a whole lot longer i know now i'm sounding morbid i'm sorry guys i just history is really important that's all i'm gonna say and i'm gonna move on all right so the next book i read i would have read this in july ah, this is another good one that i like this is by will taylor another alg you know basically i could call this you know a pride book even though i read it uh, i finished it on the second to last day of july the Language of Seabirds. This would have come out in the middle of July, July 19th. So I'm going to read the synopsis. A sweet, tender, middle grade story of two boys finding first love with each other over a seaside summer. Jeremy is not excited about the prospect of spending the summer with his dad and his uncle in a seaside cabin in Oregon. It's the first summer after his parents' divorce and he hasn't exactly been seeking alone time with his dad he doesn't have a choice though so he goes and on his first day takes a walk on the beach and finds himself intrigued by a boy his age running by eventually he and runner boy evan meet and what starts out as friendship blooms into something neither boys expected and also something both boys have been secretly hoping for i love this book i love the characters um i really did not like jeremy's dad uh a lot of the times, I mean, if I were Jeremy, I'd be like, you know what, Dad? Uh, I know that Mom needs his time to pack up the house and get settled in her new place. Because his mom took a job, and that's why he's spending two weeks with his dad at this... So It's not so much a resort, just kind of a seaside town that uh, Jeremy's uncle, his dad's brother, kind of runs these properties. So they happen to have one available that they could use. And his dad is just, oh, I don't know what is up his butt. I'm sorry, but, uh, oh, he just, oh, just snapping at Jeremy. And Jeremy just thinking, like, his dad wasn't always like this. You know, when Jeremy's parents were married, his dad was a fun one. His mom was a more strict one and everything like that. But she was more open and he could talk to her and stuff. But, um... Oh, I just, I felt bad for Jeremy. His dad constantly, like, snapping at him. And I was like, you have George to do. And blah, 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 blah. And whatever. And it's just, oh. That really irritated. So I liked that Jeremy found a friend in Evan and possibly more. Where they're both struggling with their feelings and what to do with them. And everything. And it's just, it's, it's cool. It's, I like that. <laughs> Jeremy lied about it. He's like, oh yeah, do you run too? Evan has to say, uh, yeah, I do. So Jeremy's mom, like, gave him quite a bit of money. He didn't tell his dad about it because, you know, with the divorce and everything, um, he didn't want to sound like he was choosing sides or whatever. So Jeremy goes to, like, a Target and gets, like, the most expensive (laughs) tennis shoes possible. Like, well, I don't want to get anything too flashy, or I don't want to get anything basic looking. And, of course, when he shows up and go running with Evan, Evan's like, wow, look at your shoes. Where did you? <laughs> so, and, of course, the first, and the thing is, Evan thinks Jeremy is a regular runner. Like, he does this all the time. No, he doesn't, because it shows. Like, 
Uh, I think, like, uh, Jeremy, like, threw up, like, the first time. But in time, he was, you know, he, he was getting in better shape and better form. And as far as, like, his body, he was, was conditioning, adapting to running and stuff. They weren't going long, long distances. But, my gosh. Ugh. Oh, overall, I love the book. I love the book. I love the characters. I look forward to future books of the author as well. All right, so the next books, of course, I went on a Melissa Savage marathon, guys. Uh, the last book of hers I would have read would have been, I think, in October of last year. It was, I think it was called, like, Karma. Let me, let me look that up. It was... I, I want her to write another book because I Karma Moon Ghost Hunter. Yes. Oh gosh, I hope she writes another book. So of course I read and this one I don't know why. Like I got this it came out in January of twenty twenty. I got it probably in the probably spring summer of twenty twenty. A handful of times I tried to pick it up and read it and I just I don't know why. I just I could not get into it. So I'm like, okay, this summer you know, and I, I am reading this book. It's gonna happen. So, and, and once I got past the page, you know, the part where I couldn't get past, I I flew through this. I loved it. I love the characters. I'm gonna read the synopsis for you first. This thing is like burning my foot. Okay, so three f friends head off on an adventure to find the Loch Ness monster. Ada Rue finally thought her parents were going to agree to a Fitu family vacation in Disney World the summer before sixth grade, until her father announces he's taking a teaching position in Scotland and moving the family there for the entire summer. Ada Rue is anything but happy. She doesn't like their new home. She hates haggis, which I've never had. I don't know. I, I don't think I want to either. I heard what's what that is, and I'm like, oh, no, thank you. And she certainly doesn't like the idea that she will be away from her best friend all summer. To top it all off, there is said to be a monster in the lake near their house. That's when she meets Dax, fellow American visiting for the summer, and Hamish Bean Timmy, Hammy Bean for short, captain of the Nessie Quest monster chaser boat tour. Hammy Bean knows everything there is to know about the fabled Loch Ness Monster in Scotland, but as the three unlikely friends embark on an epic adventure to spot the lake monster, they end up discovering more than they ever could imagine. I fell in love with this adorable ten-year-old boy, Hammy Bean. Uh... He is just a scrumptious, adorable, oh my gosh, and he's wearing, like, this little sailor cap that is too big for him, like, like, falls all, um, over his ears, and it just made, it just made me think of Bible for an Amer from American Tale, and another thing about this is the, um, character, we do have a... What's the word I'm looking at? How do I say this correctly? Oh, I'm trying to think, guys. You know, sight impaired, you know, blind. I just, I don't know what the proper term is. Seen impaired or, um. But yes, Hammy, Hammy Bean is, 
is blind. And, you know, the times that I stopped reading the book, I didn't know that until I really started getting into it. And Hammy Bean lives with his grandma. His parents are, um, I believe, in London. And Hammy Bean was, I believe, he... I didn't think if he was, he was born with, with di difficulties and stuff like that. And unfortunately, a spoiler, his parents were into taking drugs and stuff and not taking care of Hammy Bean. And that's when his grandmother took, came in and took him and, and raised him and everything like that. And Ada Rue... She and Hammy Bean become such a pair. And, of course, Dax, this American from New York who's got long hair, loves music from, like, the 60s and 70s. He's got a guitar. And it's just, uh, th this trio, man, going on and looking for Loch Ness. And I love there's also talk of a podcast as well because Ada Rue has a podcast. I'm trying to remember what exactly she talks about on it. I guess her only two listeners are her grandparents. But it just it's such a good book. And just learning about another place that I've I've never been and buttered popcorn jelly beans at the beginning of the book. That's like Ada Ruth's favorite. I'm like, I hear you girl. I love buttered popcorn jelly bellies. They are my fave. But yeah, she just really, uh, she really grows as a character. We, all of the kids do. And just, they come together, this amazing, amazing, visually impaired. I think that's the word that I was looking for. So, um, yeah. Just, it's such a good book. Such a good book. Definitely check it out. And I noticed there is kind of a theme with her other two books. When it comes to uh, neglect, when it comes to um, like we have the best friend who's a believer, right? We have the main character who's like, I'm eh, not really, because in this book it deals with the Loch Ness, right? The book that came out prior before that, well, two books prior before that, I believe her first book, which is the next one I'll talk about, Lemons, also deals with a character who has lost somebody. And I will talk about that book in just a minute. And in the third book, or, I'm sorry, I would say, okay, the, so we have Lemons, we have The Truth About Martians, which is the second book. Nessie Quest is the third book and then karma moon is the fourth book so yeah this it's just i loved i don't know why it took me so long to get you know past whatever my issue was at first i mean yeah i mean yeah the cover looks a little goofy but it's like a kind of a peach salmon sky with kind of a teal water with a periscope for the eye and the word nessie and then quest it just all the, the the books all center around something, you know, a, a creature that supposedly doesn't exist or is rumored to exist, like the Loch Ness Monster, in Lemons, it's Bigfoot, in The Truth About Martians, it's extraterrestrials, 
So we're going to jump ahead to the next book I read, which was Lemons. This book would have come out in 2017. So I'm going to read the synopsis for this. What do you do when you lose everything that means anything? Ten-year-old Lemonade Liberty Wit doesn't know the answer to that question, except what her mom taught her. When life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. But what if those lemons are so big that you forget how? How do you make lemonade out of having to leave everything you know in San Francisco to move to the small town of Willow Creek, California? And live with a grandfather you've never even met. In a town that smells like grass and mud and bugs, with tall pines instead of skyscrapers and dirt instead of sidewalks, not to mention one woolly beast lurking in the woods. That's right, Bigfoot. A ginormous wooden statue of the ugly thing stands right at the center of town like he's someone real important, like the mayor or something. And the people here actually believe he's real and hiding somewhere out in the pine-filled forests. How can anyone possibly be expected to make lemonade out of these rotten lemons. Everything is different, and Lem want, just wants to go back home. And then she meets Tobin Sky, the CEO of Bigfoot Detectives, Inc., and sole investigator for the town. He invites her to be his assistant for the summer, and she reluctantly agrees, at least until she can figure out her escape plan. Together, Lem and Tobin try to figure out a... Try to capture a shot of the elusive beast on film and end up finding more than they could ever have imagined. So when I read Nessie Quest, there is actually a connection between Lemons and Nessie Quest. So after I read Nessie Quest, I was like, okay, I gotta read Lemons now. Because we get to see an adult, because Lemons is actually set during the 70s. So we get in Nessie Quest, which is set in present day, we get to see Tobin Sky, and we get to hear about Lemonade Liberty Wits, where she ends up becoming a veterinarian, just like her mom was a veterinarian. Uh, there's a trigger warning for if you have a loved one who is or has passed, is suffering or has passed from cancer like I have. This could be a trigger. Her mother passes away. And she is sent to live with her grandfather. And Liberty, she's never met her grandfather, doesn't know anything about him. But he is really her only living relative. As far as her dad goes, I don't believe he was in the picture. And it's just an adjustment for her. There's even a, one of her favorite teachers has actually thought about you know, adopting her or fostering her if she doesn't want to stay with her grandfather. It's just such an adjustment. And oh, I tell you guys, I love how this book takes characters and makes them besties. And again, I say, family does not always have to be blood. It doesn't. And I like how her grandfather runs this Bigfoot souvenir shop and Tobin at first he seems kind of high maintenance a little bit because he's just he runs a Bigfoot detective agency and makes her like an associate or an assistant like he's not going to make her partner because she keeps saying I'm not going to stay here I won't be here that long because she wants to go back home to San Francisco even though she really doesn't have a home to go back to 
And it's the summer, it's before school starts, and Tobin and his mom, you know, live in a house just across the street from Liberty's grandfather. And, you know, it's right around the time of, like, the Vietnam War, and Tobin's father has been MIA for a very long time. They don't know where he is. They don't know if he, whether he had been killed in action. It just says missing in action. So he was, they were supposed to pick him up from the airport, and he just never showed. So, and I don't want to spoil anything else in regards to that. There's also, um... An older lady that she's just lonely, you know, her kids have moved on and everything. So she'll call the detective agency. She'll like, I think I spotted Bigfoot just outside my window. I think he was getting at my, like, birdhouses or something. So she'll invite Tobin and Liberty over. She'll make cookies. She'll make, she'll tell stories about, to Liberty about, you know, I remember your mom when she was your age. I watched her grow up. And... Tobin's mom was a good friend of Liberty's, you know, Tobin's mom and Liberty's mom grew up together and everything like that. And it's just, you know, she's got stories too. And it's just, I like how this family just becomes a, a nice tight knit family. It's just so sweet. And they really are there for each other. And the thing is, Liberty left her best friend behind her best friend's. And now she's living with her grandfather who she doesn't really know. She's sleeping in her in her mom's old room. It's just a lot of a lot of questions. And it's just yeah. Just trying to get used to you know Yeah, and it's it's just sad. It's like sometimes, you know, well it turns out Liberty's grandmother, her mom's mom, you know, her grandfather's wife, passed away when Liberty's mom was young, and, well, young, probably out of high school, and she and Liberty's, you know, grandfather had a falling out, they said some hateful words, they both parted, went their separate ways, just never talked, and even though I'm sure, you know, Liberty's grandfather wanted to reach out and make contact, it just... And unfortunately, you know, it became too late. She got, you know, Liberty's mom got sick. She had cancer and she sadly passed. And, you know, he never got the chance to make amends. But he has a chance to make it right with his granddaughter. And it just, the whole, you know, the book, I mean, it's not the whole summer. I swear it's like, I think school's starting in like two weeks. So, but, um, and Tobin gets really attached to Liberty and, you know, the other kids make fun of Tobin because he's always wearing this safari hat, never takes it off. And kids will, like, these two boys will crank call the Bigfoot hotline or, you know, business line. And like, oh, it's all Bigfoot. Come on. Yeah, they're just messing with Tobin. And Liberty, when Tobin isn't there one day, she goes and hangs out with some of these kids who are going to be in her class and her school and everything to get to know other kids. And there's a whole thing with, you know, Tobin's like, why are you talking to them? They made fun of me. Why would you be friends with them? And it's just, 
yeah, so it's just kind of dealing with that. It's like, yeah, sometimes, you know, someone forms a really tight attachment. Like, hey, you're my best friend, but I don't want you really hanging out with other friends. You know, especially those that tease me and stuff. But, um, we never get to, uh, spoiler alert, we never knew if she got to get a kitten from, um, that when, um, the girl, she, they're all playing kick the can, which <laughs> I think it's like capture the flag or something. So, um, yeah, and they're always, Tobin is always, like, wanting to get information, like, hardcore evidence of Bigfoot and that he exists and everything, and it's just, it's just, he wants to be, you know, somebody, and it's like, the only way to do that is to have evidence and prove that Bigfoot exists. You know, get his name in the paper and all that fun stuff. So, but definitely, I mean, I know I went into more detail in this book than a lot of the others, but I just... I love Melissa Savage's books, guys. They are they are comfort reads. They are just like, oh, this is gonna be awesome. So, and of course, the last Melissa Savage book until she writes a new one. <laughs> Fingers crossed. The Truth About Martians. Now, I'm gonna say I like this book. I like the other ones a bit more, but I'm gonna read uh, the synopsis. A boy and his best friend set out to discover the aliens who crash-landed next to their Roswell, New Mexico farm in this charming novel packed with adventure and heart. Perfect for fans of Ali Benjamin's The Thing About Jellyfish and Jennifer L. Holmes' The 14th Goldfish. Milo never really believed in Martians unless they had a starring role in one of his comic books. But then a flying saucer crash lands next to his Roswell, New Mexico ranch and he starts to hear voices like someone is asking for his help. With his best friend Dibs and Crush Gracie by his side and his Cracker Jack superhero membership card, a slingshot and a small American flag for peace in tow, Milo sets out on an epic adventure to investigate the crash and find the Martians. But he and his friends end up discovering more about the universe than they ever could imagine. Have imagined. I'm going to go straight on and tell you major trigger warning for child abuse. Uh, there's a character here it's Milo's best friend Dibs his mom basically took off and his dad is at risk of losing their farm and his dad drinks a lot and sometimes Dibs is um faces the brunt of his father's anger and but he stays a lot at Milo's house you know and his family all they want, they want to adopt this kid. They want to take him and like, hey, I want, but, and they have offered, and every time Dibs' dad turns him down, like, no, he's my boy. You're not taking him for me. Um, also, we deal with uh, the main character has lost an older brother due to a sickness. We don't know exactly what that sickness is. Uh, another book that is historical fiction because it is set in, I believe, 1947? So, yeah, we go even further back in time with this one. So, yeah, it's it's a very good book. I, I enjoyed the characters and everything. And I like that 
for the longest time, I wasn't really reading, you know, the author's note. You know, read it. You know, it's you might learn something. And with Melissa Savage's books and the author's note, she goes into detail about how she came up with the story. And a lot of them, there's always research involved. She actually did travel to Roswell, New Mexico, and talk to people about the UFO crash of 1947. Um... I want to say that I know that those out there that, you know, visual impairment representation in books, when it's not by someone who is visually impaired themselves, is, I understand it's like you want real representation. When I read the author's note for Nessie Quest, Melissa Savage's mother suffered from an illness that where she lost her sight when Melissa Savage and I believe whether her brother or sister or siblings oh, hold on one second. you know I, I understand that that's not the same thing as you know you know what's the word I'm looking for um representation of someone actually being visually impaired and writing from that you know point of view um but uh I really enjoyed the book and I definitely would recommend checking it out. So the next book of course, I can't, okay I'm just going to say this, for those of you that have read Small Spaces and the other books, Dead Voices, Dark Waters, Empty Smiles is the fourth book that just came out and I'm sure I've mentioned before that I was really nervous about how this was going to go because Dark Waters was just an utter garbage dump of a book. Sorry, Catherine Ar Arden, but uh, did not care for that at all. I know we needed a third book to get to the fourth book, but it was just, it was a hot mess, guys. But, okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the synopsis for those of you that have read the books. I'm reading the synopsis. If you, if you haven't read the books and you're okay with hearing the synopsis, cool. If you haven't read the books and you don't want to be spoiled, jump ahead like a minute or so. Okay, so I'm going to read the synopsis. New York Times bestselling author Catherine thrills once again in the finale to the critically acclaimed spooktacular quartet that began with small spaces. It's been three months since Ollie made a daring deal with a smiling man to save those she loved, and then she vanished without, and then vanished without a trace. The smiling man promised Coco, Brian, and Phil that they'd have a chance to save her, but as time goes by, they begin to worry that the, sm the smiling man has lied to them and Ollie is gone forever. But finally, a clue surfaces. A boy who went missing at a nearby traveling carnival appears at the town swimming hole, terrified and rambling. He tells anyone who will listen about the mysterious man who took him, how the man agreed to let him go on one condition, that he deliver a message. Play, if you dare. Game on. The smiling man has finally made his move, and now it's Coco, Brian, and Phil's turn to make theirs. And they know just where to start. The traveling carnival is coming to Evansburg. Meanwhile, Ollie is trapped in the world behind the mist, leaving the horrifying secrets of the Smiling Man's carnival. Oh, learning the horrifying secrets of the Smiling Man's carnival. 
trying everything to help her friends find her. Brian, Coco, and Phil will risk everything to rescue Ollie, but they all soon realize this game is much more dangerous than the ones before. This time, the smiling man is playing for keeps. The summer nights are short, and Ollie, Coco, and Brian, and Phil only have until sunrise to beat him once and for all, or it's game over for everyone. I'm going to tell you this. Like I said, I was nervous going into this because the third book was bad, in my opinion. And the second book was just okay. This book, wow, it brought everything I could have wanted and more into this final book. It really, oh my gosh, I loved it so much. It just reminded me so much of Small Spaces. And the thing is, I was like, oh great, now we're going to get, you know, because each, the first one, Small Spaces had Ollie's narration. Second one had Coco's narration. I think it might have been Coco and possibly Ollie. I'm not sure. And then the third one, of course, Brian's narration. I'm like, oh, you know, Phil was in the mix in the third one. Um, I'm like, oh, great, the third one's going to have, you know, Phil. Uh, a character we really did not know much about. So I was surprised when we got all three. We got Ollie's point of view with the smiling man and the traveling circus. We got Coco's POV because she is, she and Brian both are, and, and Phil, we are dealing with, uh, like, Ollie's missing. We know she's not dead, even though her dad thinks she is. They need to find the smiling man, and they need to work at, you know, getting Ollie back. But, but we get Coco and Brian's point of view, which is good. And then, of course, Ollie says, we need to know what's going on with the carnival and everything. Oh, my gosh, guys. I mean, remnants of, uh, if you read, read Stephen King's It, I have not. I've seen the movies and the miniseries from the 90s. This felt semi-remnant to that. And sure, yes, the book was short. It was like just over 200 pages. And yeah, it did leave me with some questions. Like, spoiler alert, what happened to Timmy and his sister? Clearly, you know, everything works out in the end. Um, I'm going to miss these characters. I'll say that. But it definitely um, gave me exactly what I wanted for the most part. All my worries, as soon as I started reading it, all my worries just washed away. So, so good, so good. Oh my gosh. All right, and of course, the final book I read for summer. I literally just finished this like two days ago, uh, August 31st. By Cassie West, one of my favorite authors. It's called Places We've Never Been. And I thought this would be the perfect book to end summer on. So I'm going to read the synopsis. A sweet and uh, a sweet and swoony contemporary young adult novel about a cross-country family road trip that puts one girl and her childhood best friend on an unexpected road romance. Road to romance. Nora hasn't seen her childhood best friend Skylar in years. When he first moved away, they they talk all the time, but lately their friend relationship has been reduced to liking each other's Instagram posts. That's why Nora can't wait for the joy RV road trip and their families their families have planned for the summer. But 
When Skylar finally arrives, he seems like he'd rather be anywhere else. Hurt and confused, Nora reacts in kind. Suddenly, her oldest friendship is on the rocks. An unexpected summer spent driving down, driving across the country leads both Nora and Skylar down new roads to new discoveries. Before long, they are once again seeing each other in a different light. Can their friendship turned rivalry turn into something more? So, yes, I did like this book. I am going to say that um, I liked in the beginning some of Cassie West's books. There was one that really turned me off of her writing, and I was really hesitant to get back into her books. But this book, rest assured, actually pulled me back into the fold. So, Nora and Skylar, you know, grew up together. They're, you know, best friends when they're, you know, little kids. They're, their moms are best friends, in fact. That's why they have a dual RV road trip. It's not the dads, it's just the moms. And so we have Skylar and her brother who I'm now blanking on his name. Ezra, that's what it, her brother's name, her older brother's name is Ezra. So, Skylar and her brother Ezra and their mom are in one RV, and then you have... Oh my gosh, uh, guys, I am, oh, excuse me, no. Let me start over again. So, we yeah. <laughs> have... All right, Nora, her brother Ezra, and their mom in one RV. Then we have Skylar, who is Nora's best friend. He has an older brother named Austin and a younger sister named Paisley and their mom. They're both dual RVs. However, once the trip gets going, the thing is they haven't seen each other in like four years because Nora and Skylar are like grew up like in Ohio and then when when they hit 13 Skylar found out that his dad got a new job in Fresno, California so they had to move from Ohio way out to California and they kept in contact through you know probably I don't know if they did phone calls or, or they just started to kind of drift apart a little bit and so it's been four years Nora's got a new friend named Willow and, of course, Nora's like, oh, it's going to be just like old times, me and Skylar, never apart from each other, because they're the be best of friends. And, of course, <laughs> as Skylar and his family get there, Skylar is very off-putting, just right out kind of rude, just like he doesn't want to be there, he's constantly looking at his phone uninterested in anything Nora has to see, say or any type of, uh, you know, she tries to get conversations going with him. He's just like one word answers. So it's like, what is his problem? So, but Austin and Ezra, you know, uh, Skylar and Nora's older siblings, oh, they're chummy right away. They haven't talked to but it's just like, I guess there's some people like, you don't always have to talk, but then when you get together, it's just, you know, time passes and you can just like fall back into companionship and whatnot. So I think either Ezra and Austin decide like, hey, 
Let's see if we can get the moms to be in one RV and then us teens, we could all have our own RV so we can just, you know, hang out, whatever. Of course, Nora, now that Skylar really isn't talking to her, she's like, no, I don't want that. And plus, Nora has, she is a gamer. She wants to be a game, you know, video game designer, however you want to call it, creator. And she has an interview for a college in Seattle, this special gaming college institution. So, um, that is kind of the end, towards the end of the trip. They're going, by the way, this RV trip is three weeks long. They're going and going to every, every place that they could visit. Uh, Yellowstone National Park, uh, Zion Park. There's just a, a bunch of different places here and there. They're, they're just traveling that the moms have put this trip together. So, and and along the way, and Nora is just an amazing artist, but the thing is, so is Skylar. They're both really good artists and everything. And the thing is, they start opening up to each other a little bit. And, and, and taught he's not freezing her out nearly as much. But the thing is that I kind of was confused about why he stopped talking to her to begin with. I mean, I get it distance. He's in California. She's in Ohio. But just his whole reasoning, and I don't want to spoil it. It's just like, that doesn't make any sense. But... Yeah, and it turns out the moms are keeping a seat. And the thing is, I had an inkling about one thing when it should have been the other way around. I'm like, okay, what's going on? They're both being secretive. What's going on? And then what I thought about one turned out about the other. So um, I, I really like the book. It was a nice cozy read uh, on the way home from San Antonio. So it was, and those are the books I read this summer. I, I really, oh, I enjoyed them so, so much. I really look for, I already started <clears throat> my first book for fall, which is ever since I read A Good Girl's Guide to Murder by Holly Jackson, I've been a sucker for good YA mysteries. So I picked up The Cheerleaders by Kara Thomas, and she has like, like three or four mystery books. I'm going to read this one because I'm in the middle of it actually right now. So, alright. There are... When did this book come out? Came out in 2018, so it's been a bit. Okay. There are no more cheerleaders in the town of Sunnybrook. First, there was the car accident. Two girls gone after hitting a tree on a rainy night. Not long after the murders happened, those two girls were killed by the man next door. The police shot him, so no one will ever know why he did it. Monica's sister was the last cheerleader to die. Um, trigger warning for suicide, guys, and uh, murder. After her suicide, Sunnybrook High disbanded the cheer squad. No one wanted to be reminded of the girls they lost. That was five years ago. Now the faculty and students at Sunnybrook High want to remember the lost cheerleaders, but for Monica, it's not that easy. She just wants to forget. Only Monica's world is starting to unravel. There are the letters in her stepdad's desk, an unearthed years-old cell phone, a strange new friend at school. Whatever happened five years ago isn't over. 
Some people in town know more than they're saying, and somehow Monica is at the center of it all. There are no more cheerleaders in Sunnybrook, but that doesn't mean anyone else is safe. That is the book that I am reading. And when I start my end of the year, which I'll probably do at the very end of 2022, probably the last week of December. So I'll be going through all the books I read in the fall and uh, early winter. I hope you guys all enjoyed this review and maybe you found some good books to check out. And I'm actually going to be back with books that I would like to read. Maybe, you know, books that are coming out this fall that I would like to read in the coming months and everything. So I'm going to be releasing a podcast episode about those. And again, maybe you'll find some new books to read. Books that you could recommend to someone you know might be interested in them. So have a great week, everybody. Actually, it's Friday. So have a great holiday weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.